Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC. And I would expect after yesterday's big 27-13 to 13 victory, I expect the joy of the Lord to be just all over this place this morning, right? You don't, you don't rank the dogs number three anymore. That just, that just doesn't happen. And so uh, we are grateful you are here. If you're visiting with us, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We hope that as you came in, you were greeted not only in a friendly manner, but also taken over to our welcome center where you could get what we call our bag of swag and some goodies that are in there and helps you to learn a little bit about us. We'd also like, and this is just part of our wanting to be relational, if you are on the end of an aisle, please get the friendship pad started. Fill it out yourself, pass it down to your neighbor, and we would greatly appreciate that. Several different things going on. A lot of it this time of year, we're now into November, and amazing how fast things are going to go between now and the end of the year. So a whole bunch of save the dates. If you want to sign up for helping decorate for Christmas, there is a sign-up sheet that is out in the foyer, and that'll be, I believe the dates will be the day after that Friday, Saturday after Thanksgiving, something along those lines, and so we would encourage you to do that. As you take a look at different things, our next Inquirer's class comes up on Friday evening, December 2nd, Saturday, December 3rd. Sign up for that and let us know if you can make that. The Ladies' Advent Tea will be on Tuesday, December 6th, and so mark your calendar for that. The Christmas Cantata. See this group? They're working hard. Aren't you all practicing right now? Amy, working you too hard, though? Well, uh, you know. No, we got some no, some yes there, Amy. I don't know what to, what to do. This will be a phenomenal ministry event, phenomenal time to celebrate the season. Great opportunity to invite friends as well. The date on that is Sunday, December 18th at 6 p.m. And then, of course, our Christmas Eve service on the 24th, Saturday the 24th at 5 in the evening. This will be our service of lessons and carols. A reminder, next Sunday, November 13th, is our Celebration Sunday as we have the end of our LOPC 2.0 campaign. Uh, we are going to have a catered event from Rock Eagle, and so we are excited about that. And we want to encourage, and this is as many of you as possible, to fill out a pledge card. This is not just about the giving. This is not just, this is about our commitment to what God calls us as a church to be missional, to have a missional mindset, to go and reach out to our community, to be the kind of church God is calling us to be. And so we would love to have 100% participation in that. There's a table. If you don't have a pledge card, you can get that. There's the table set up in terms of that. We want to be able to celebrate and announce what God has raised in terms of that. I want to ask now Gary Thomas. Gary and Grace are newer members, newer part of our uh, LOPC family. And it's been great to get to know them. And they're gonna, Gary's going to share a little bit on why he's excited, and they're excited as a family, about LOPC 2.0. Gary? Thank you, Jeff. Um, Grace and I, for you, those of you who don't know, moved down from Maryland, uh, and we were part of an ARP church there. And that church was actually going through what, in a sense, maybe what y'all did when you started, or, or the building project. They were meeting in a school, and we had been meeting in a school for 15 years and they were beginning to build a building. So they were going through some changes too. And so coming here, we came here and we're like, man, there's a building. This is, you know, a step up, we're good. We're coming to a place with a building. We're not sitting in hard chairs. Um, and we started listening uh, actually about a year ago when we were looking to move here. We started looking for churches and stuff. And I actually, we've been listening to Jeff and this church for, for roughly about a year now. And, and we felt blessed by his ministry and his preaching and the, the theological depths. And so we were very happy. And then we got slightly concerned because we could tell that things were that there was change. And change isn't always bad, but it often, I'd say that sometimes it, it can be and sometimes it can lead to, I'll just use the word liberalism, 
or the church liberalizing to attract. And so there was like, we'll call them reforms, spidey senses tingling. It's like, I don't know. Um, but then after coming here, after continuing to listen, I was like, it doesn't sound right because that doesn't sound like the type of, you know, preaching that we've heard uh, listening over the last year. And that doesn't sound like you know, so we're going to come and, and we're going to give it a chance. We're going to speak to the elders in the session. And, and thankfully, since we've been here, we, I say our fears in a sense have been abated. We're extremely excited for 2.0. And I want to read a, a quick section of scripture, and it's Revelation 2. Uh, we'll start at verse 2, and it's uh, a warning to the church. Uh, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring passionately and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did for at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 2.0 to me from talking with the session, from listening, from prayer, we're excited because of the amount of prayer that has gone into it, from the amount of diligence that has, the work that has been put forward into it, and the dedication not to turn this church into something entirely new, but to continue on that path, to not forget what this church was first called to, to not forget that love, to not forget our doctrine, but to move forward and take the gospel to this community. And that heart and that desire in the session and uh, from the pastor and from everyone here and the love that you've shown us just coming into this church over the last several months, we couldn't be happier to be here and to be a part of it and just to, to come alongside you, to come along the session and come alongside the session and to not lose sight of that first love that this church had when it was planted here and to continue that mission, not to change and to conform ourselves, but to be conformed to the gospel and to, to march forward. And so Grace and I are very happy to be a part of this, very happy to be here, and we're excited for what 2.0, the continuing and the not losing that first love that, that this congregation has had and that we believe it has had, and, and we, we are uh, happy to be here. So thank you. Amen. Gary, thank you so much, and it's great to have Gary and Grace and their kids uh, in the church, and you know, what we aspire to is to see a church built with all of us together remembering our first love, having that first love kindled, warming our hearts at the fire of God's love, and overflowing with that love to others and to the community. Gary, thank you for that reminder. What a great vision. God has called us to worship. As the prelude is played, let's prepare our hearts this morning for worship.
God is in our midst, and he has called us into his very presence to worship him this morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 146, verses 1 to 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Lord, you are the everlasting God, and we praise you. We pray, Father, that out of our lips, flowing out of our hearts, would flow songs of praise, prayers of praise, that our hearts would fall more deeply in love with you. We invoke your presence to join with us this morning, that we may exalt you and declare your glory to a watching world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing our opening hymn, The Church's One Foundation. this morning comes from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 to 5. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. One of the things that I find really interesting here in Daniel's leading the people in confession is the corporate nature of this. Notice here he says, we have sinned. He's not just saying he has, we have as a people acted wickedly and in rebellion. We have turned away from you. We have forgotten our first love. And God is inviting us by his grace, filled with steadfast love, to return to him. Friends, take a few moments and personally confess your sins to the Lord. Come clean before him, and then we will pray together our corporate confession of sin. Let's pray. Friends, let us pray together. Loving Father, be merciful and forgive our sin. Cleanse our unrighteousness. Heal our hurts and reconcile our broken relationships. Pour your spirit upon us with renewing grace. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Forgive our excessiveness and ingratitude. Make us a thankful people with charitable hearts who drink from the well of your grace that this broken world will taste the new wine of the gospel through Jesus. Amen. And friends, our assurance of pardon. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God that it wasn't us trying to reach up to God to reconcile us to the Father, but he came down he came to us to reconcile us to God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Let's stand and continue to praise, singing Rock of Ages.
Let us continue to worship, spending time with the Lord in prayer. We will, together in unison, recite the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a time. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory Amen. Our Father, we come before you praising you that you are our Father. And that because you are our Father, we are brothers and sisters together in your family. And so we pray for your family, this morning. We pray for those who in recent past have suffered loss. We ask, Father, for your comfort and peace to be with them, for them to know the truth of Jesus, your words that you are Emmanuel, God with us, to know the power of your presence, to know that though we grow weary and weak, you never grow tired, you never faint, you never grow weary. So may our eyes look up to the hills and find our help in you. In the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Lord, we pray for those who are still in hospitals and still struggling. We think of Carol Oxford and Susan Porter and Bill Bonner. We ask, Father, for you to be with them. Lord, we pray, as in just a couple of days will be very important elections, and we pray, Father, for all those in authority over us. And Lord, we may have various feelings, but we know that you are sovereign. And as we have just prayed in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be submissive to your will, to know that your will is what is best, whether we get our way or don't get our way. Help us to surrender as your children. We can be bold in our prayers, but help us to be submissive in our prayers as well recognizing that you know better than we do what's best for us. Father, we pray for the ministry of the church. As we enter into the final week of LOPC 2.0, this particular campaign, Lord, we pray that we would trust, Father, your call to action that you have given to us, that the vision you've given to us to reach this community, to be a missional church, Lord, may our hearts be overflowing with love. May we buy into this. May we obey this. This vision to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, we pray for our hearts. Renew our hearts. Transform our hearts. And we pray for the transformation of our community. You have told us in your word that we, as those who have been sent by you into exile in this world, we are to pray for the shalom, for the welfare of this community. And so we pray for Lake Oconee, for Putnam County, for Greene County, for Morgan County. We pray for renewal. We pray, Holy Spirit, send revival. And so, Father, as we pray these things, we do so acknowledging and praising you that the kingdom, the power, and the glory all belong to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amy, you guys did it again. I always have to reflect on different, different parts of the worship service will always hit you. I remember Tim Couch shared this with you before, how Tim Keller said the essence of worship is surprise. And it's not a boo surprise. It's along the lines of where is the Holy Spirit, who's sovereign, going to be working? And just the whole thought that Jesus Christ is our living hope. I can't help but think about my own heart, can't help but think about our community, so much of what we're about, is there are so many competing hopes out there. I'll be honest, I enjoyed the football game yesterday, but does sports compete in our hearts to be a hope? I'll vote. Evie will vote. We'll do all of that, but I know I'm stepping on toes early. How much do we make politics and how things turn out our hope? How about our family? All of those things. Obviously, that's a good thing. We want them to do well. We want them, all that. All these things compete for our heart's affection. And what Jesus is calling, there's a reason he said, seek ye first. He didn't say, seek ye fifth, the kingdom of God. You know, okay, my kingdom can come in fifth after the bulldogs and the family and the elect. No, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so, choir, thank you for ministering to my heart. Challenging and comfort. That's what worship is meant to do. Now, here we are. We are in our last week of our LOPC 2.0 campaign. And we will be spending the next two weeks, these are the last two weeks of this particular sermon series, and we've been talking about how what we're seeking through this is spiritual renewal. Our hearts being transformed so that overflowing from us We'll re, we will be engaged with reaching out to the community, seeking the welfare, the shalom of the community, to be used by God to restore the brokenness of the community. We've been talking about this and pursuing this. Here in these last two Sundays, today and next week, I want to kind of try to put it all together. How do we actually pursue this? How do we actually practically put this together. Is there a key? And I believe there is. And you shouldn't be surprised by this. I learn almost everything from Tim Keller, and he puts it well. He says, if you're seeking renewal, if you're seeking revival, he says the key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is the continual rediscovery of the gospel. The key to spiritual renewal and revival is our continual rediscovering and falling in love with the riches of the gospel. And so today and next week, we're going to look at two passages out of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. And I'd invite you to turn, if you have Bibles, turn with me there. If not, I think there's a handout. There's probably... I think, the, look at this, speak, and there the, the words show up. You have so many choices. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. But when Cephas, who was Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We're going to see three things in this particular passage. We're going to look at three things that show us how the gospel works, or how the gospel 
operates in our lives. Not simply what the truth of the gospel is, there's there, but how it gets applied, how it operates in our lives. We're going to see in this passage that there's a principle, so we're going to look at what that principle is. We're going to look at how that principle gets fleshed out, how it operates in our lives, and then where do we get the power to live it. What the principle is, how it applies, how it operates, where do we get the power? First of all, what is the principle? I want to tell you that the gospel is like a great feast that we need to continue to learn to eat and enjoy. We need to learn to feast on the gospel. After next Sunday, it's been a busy season. You think in the the church for a little bit, we've kind of had a busy season. Evie and I are going to take our last week of vacation, and we're going back to South Carolina, check on her mom and her brother, do all of that, and then we're spending Thanksgiving with my mother, my brother, hopefully seeing Joel a little bit. Let me tell you something about my family. We love to eat. I bet you my brother has already started cooking for the Thanksgiving feast, even though we're, what, three weeks out? We love to feast. There is no question about that. Do you realize our greatest need is to feast on the gospel? Let me set the stage for you what's going on before I lay out exactly what the principle is here that Paul is doing. Here's the cut, because we're not studying the whole book of Galatians. And so here's what's going on in terms of setting the stage. The book of Galatians is Paul's angriest letter out of all his life. You know, if you read through his letters, he normally has, Hi, I'm Paul. This is Timothy. We're greeting you. Kind of nice and friendly. We're thankful for this, all this. Not so in Galatians. Go back. Have fun with it. Read Galatians, and and here's what he does. Hi, this is Paul. I'm here to greet you. And then why are you so quickly turning away from the gospel? Whoa. And then he says, as if there were another, another gospel. So he's already getting to it. And then he talks about a visit. This is the beginning part of Galatians chapter 2, where he talks about going up to Jerusalem to meet what he calls the pillar apostles. And that would be James, John, and Peter. And he goes about them and he says, here was the problem. Here's what's going on. The Galatians were off to a great start. Church was planted, believing the gospel and stuff. And then kind of this pressure group came along. Commentators call them the circumcision party. And here was what they were doing. They basically said, yes, we want you to believe in Jesus Christ. So far, so good. But then they were adding something to believing in Jesus Christ. In their case, they said you had to add the Mosaic law, including the ceremonial the cultural regulations that distinguished a Jewish person as Jewish. So they said you had to add things like circumcision in order to be fully acceptable. Now the important thing is not so much what they were adding. Don't get lost in the weeds of that. The important thing here is the fact that they were adding. See, what made Paul so adamant, what made Paul so mad is the principle of the gospel is, is Jesus Christ's work sufficient? Is Christ's work and Christ's work alone all you need to cleanse you, to beautify you, to reconcile you? Is Jesus' work sufficient? Is it enough? Paul's answer is yes. The false teachers were no. And in this first visit, he goes up and he says, I even met with Peter, James, and John, and they agreed with me on this issue. They agreed with me that Christ is enough to cleanse you, to make you fully acceptable. And then you get, and here's where we pick up today, verse 11, a second visit. Peter comes to Antioch, the church at Antioch, which is a predominantly Gentile church. And Paul says that certain men came from James and that even though Peter believed with Paul, that Peter said his theological belief was that 
If you believe in Christ, His work is sufficient. You're fully all right. You're fully acceptable. You're fully complete. The text tells us what did Peter do? He separated himself from the Gentiles. He withdrew out of fear of the circumcision group. And therefore, Paul says, I opposed him publicly. I got in his face. And what he does here is he's showing us how the gospel works, how it operates. In other words, a model of the Christian life. And if you look with me at verse 14, here's what it is. Verse 14, he says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. There's the principle. Not in step. Teach you a little Greek this morning. The Greek word is orthopodeo. Podeo is the Greek word for walk. Ortho is straight. To walk straight. Think our English word orthodontist. I remember when Joel was 13, 14 years old, and what did he need? This is what parents don't want to hear. We don't want to hear this because of finances. Your son needs braces. How much will that cost? We were blessed. We were fortunate to take Joel to a great orthodontist. Friends with him to this day. His name is Dr. Lowe. He was a great... He was funny. Talk about bedside manner in terms of things. He could sing. He did all sorts of stuff. And he straight... Not for free, but he straightened Joel's teeth. Orthopodeo. Here's what it means. The gospel is a truth. Notice Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And I'm totally indebted to Tim Keller for this. He says, the gospel is truth. It has a set of truths that go along with it. Truths like, we're weak and sinful. We try to control our life through saving ourselves. And that through Jesus Christ, the entire law of God, Dr. Keller puts it, Jesus Christ lived the life we ought to live and died to the death we ought to have died so that when you believe in Him, you trust in Him, you are completely accepted. That is the gospel. And the gospel has implications. It has a trajectory. And the principle is that we are to bring every part of our lives, every part, our thinking, our emotions, our affections, our will, and our actions. In other words, sanctification or the Christian life is not just do the right thing. It is trace out the lines of the gospel. The gospel is a truth and it says this, and then I am to walk straight, live consistently with that trajectory, with the truth of the gospel. Friends, that's the principle. How does that flesh out? How does that work? And to do this, Paul gives us a case study. Paul gives us a case study. The case study of how he approached Peter. Verse 14, the rest of verse 14, after he says you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, he says, Peter, you are Jewish, yet you live like a Gentile. In other words, you eat with them, you have fellowship with them, you do because you're all one family in Christ, of course you do. You're spending time with them. All of that is normal. That's the truth of the gospel. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, by drawing back, by separating yourself, you are communicating they're not good enough for you to have fellowship with. See, here's the premise. God did not have fellowship with you on the basis of your race or culture. You are not justified through observing the law. How dare you turn around and now you're only having fellowship because by drawing back, you're saying, I'll only have fellowship with you on the basis of race and culture. What he is saying to Peter is, Peter, you've forgotten the gospel. Not theologically, but functionally. At some level, you are not drawing out the implications. You are not applying it. He gives a fascinating argument. If you look at verse 12, he says, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. See, why didn't Paul just go up to Peter and say, Peter, you blew it. You broke the rule. You're, you blew it here. Instead, he says, Peter's not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. You're forgetting the gospel. He's saying, Peter, what you're doing is a form of self-righteousness, a form of works righteousness. You are continuing to try to add to Jesus Christ. See, we need to see how the gospel works in our life. Let me try to apply this. Let's take an example. And I'll be the one, I guess I'm preaching, I should do this, I'll take an example of something I struggle with. Let's take the example of struggling with the approval of other people. Wanting other people to be happy with you. Wanting other people to like you. First of all, that's not a bad thing in and of itself, right? Not a bad thing. We're not talking about something that's immoral. But let's take that example. What do you do about it? How do we understand what we're doing? How am I to think about what I'm doing? See, if I look at it, only that seeking others' approval, seeking to, no matter what, keep others happy with me is a sin. I'm kind of breaking the rule, breaking the law, and I shouldn't be disobedient. Well, let me just apply the Scriptures to it. I need to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. I need to work harder. I need to be more disciplined. The problem is, that doesn't work very well, does it? Apply, I'm picking on myself, giving you a problem I struggle with, but here's the application, folks. There's application. Find something in your life and ask yourself, does just trying harder work well? How well does just being more disciplined work at transformation, at change? See, instead, here's what you need to do. You need to say, why do I struggle with, why do I need people to be happy? Not just want, not in a normal sense, but why do I have to have people be happy with me in the first place? Why in any particular situation, if somebody comes to me and criticizes me, do I get defensive? Why do I say, but I'm doing the best I can? And I may not say that, but what if I'm thinking that? What if my need for approval becomes so much? See, the answer to that is I'm basically looking for something in addition to Jesus to cleanse me and make me acceptable, make me complete, make me beautiful. And anything we add to Jesus Christ as a requirement for a happy life is a functional savior, is a functional salvation a pseudo-lord, and it is controlling you. You're a slave, and you're not free. And Jesus said, the truth, and only the truth, will set you free. See, the only way change occurs, and you have to learn to apply the gospel and work the gospel in your life in this way, is that you have to see exactly where you are turning away from Jesus Christ to something else. That's why you do what you do. That's why you get defensive, that's why you lie, that's why you fear, that's why you're anxious, that's why you gossip, that's why, whatever the sin is. If it's a sin, you do it because you're turning away from Christ to something else. Something else is becoming a functional pseudo-Lord in your life. You are desperately hoping that this thing, in my case, approval, others being happy with me, me meeting all the expectations, me meeting my own expectations, we are hoping this will warm your cold self-image. Rather than Jesus Christ being our living hope, that's why that, you know, I didn't talk to Amy ahead of time. We should have. <laughs> I'm like, this is exactly what I'm preaching on. This is amazing. How the gospel works is you have to identify what is it you are making in your life a living hope in addition to Jesus Christ. We all do it, and we all do it with good things. See, the only place that's going to transform us is if we warm 
our hearts at the fire of God's love. That's the only thing that will do it. That's why we do the things that we do. That's how the gospel works. So you see the principle, the principle not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. How does that work? Identify and discover what it is that you're using as a pseudo-Lord, where you're turning away from Christ and you're looking to something else. But it's not good enough, is it, just to turn, identify what you're using to turn away. What is repentance? It's not just turning away from sin, it's turning to Jesus Christ. So where do you get the power to live out of this principle? Look with me at verses 15 and 16. Paul says to Peter, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. See, what is Paul talking about here? He is talking about what it means to be a Christian, the essence of Christianity. See, the gospel is about what a Christian is. And to look at that, we need to look at this one key vocabulary word that Paul gives us here in the text. It's a very important word. It's the word justified. Justified in Christ. The heart of the battle is every single one of us are seeking to be justified. We want to be okay. The sense that we're okay. That we can feel good about ourselves. That we're all right with ourselves and in the world. We want to have that sense that we're right. The choice is we are either looking to justify ourselves, validate ourselves, prove ourselves, vindicate ourselves, or we're resting in the justification provided us as a gift in Jesus Christ. What exactly is justification? It is a legal de declaration. It is a pronouncement of God of two things. That one, you are forgiven. Think about what the scriptures say. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're non-condemnable. Am I the only one here who struggles with condemning himself all the time? This is where I should have done better. This is what I should have done better. Oh, if I only did this, if I only had said, I'll drive home and I'll probably drive heavy crazy, kind of going, oh, I should have done more on point one and less on point three. And there, this is the battle. The battle for understanding your justification. If you want to grow in your sanctification, friends, here's what you have to work on. Understanding your justification. Think about this. There is therefore now no condemnation from God, from you, or from anyone else. It doesn't exist. Why? Because Jesus Christ took it all upon himself. There's nothing left to add. If you're adding something, Jesus' work was not enough. If you're adding something, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was lying. And can Jesus lie? Again, think about the implications of the gospel. But that's not all there is to justification. Our sins are removed, we're declared non-condemnable, but we're also declared righteous. This is why I quoted Dr. Keller earlier who said, here's the gospel, that Jesus Christ not only died the death we should have died, but he lived the life we should have lived. Do you know how amazing that is? He lived a perfect life, and that record is given to us. And see, we'll talk more about this next week when we talk about the rest of Galatians chapter 2, but there's a doctrine that comes out of that. It's called the doctrine of union with Christ. Because we're united to Christ, everything that belonged to Jesus, everything Jesus earned is credited to us, is given to us. And the implications of this, see, again, learn to trace out. This is part of what it means to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We have to learn how to think. Not just what to think, but how to think. The implications of the gospel. I'll give just one example. When Jesus was baptized, and all of a sudden the heavens were rent asunder, and a voice came 
from heaven. And it was God the Father speaking to and about Jesus. And what did he say? He said, you are my beloved son. This is who you are. With you, I am well pleased. Now, wouldn't you love to hear those words? You know, it's one thing to hear somebody loves you. It's another thing to hear somebody likes you. But to hear someone say, I'm into you. You are my child. You are my son. With you, I'm proud of you. I delight in you. I am well pleased with you. Now, the father said that about the son. Now, what does it mean to be justified? It means you're in the son. So guess who else the father says that about? All those who are in the son. If you are in Jesus Christ, he is looking at you right now, and he is saying about you, you are my beloved son or daughter. You are my child. You can't blow it and not become my child. You can't mess up bad enough to not become my child. You are my child. This is the voice of God. With you, I am well pleased. Do you see what we're saying when we're saying we need something in addition to Jesus to make us happy? Something in addition to Jesus for us to be well-pleasing? Something in addition to Jesus? He looks at us and he says he is well-pleased with us. See, where do we get the power? We have to learn to apply this. Richard Lovelace, a great theologian, wrote this. He says, most problems with our sanctification, that means living the Christian life, this renewal that we're seeking. He says, most problems come from a failure to understand this doctrine of justification. If there is not renewal in our midst, it is because we are not understanding the gospel. We are not understanding, we're not applying the doctrine of justification. He writes, there is a deep and indissoluble connection between our appropriation of justification and our experience of sanctification. If we are trying to move people further in sanctification, we should begin with a strong emphasis on justification. Friends, do you see how this works? The principle. The gospel has lines, implications, a trajectory. We have to find those lines, and Christian living is bringing your life in line with the truth of the gospel. How does the principle work? Well, we have to identify where we are trying to justify ourselves. Self-justification, self-righteousness, where we're saying there is something besides or in addition to Jesus that you need to complete you. And then where do you get the power to live out this principle? Understand your justification. Hear the Father's voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Father, thank you for this passage. And I pray that as we seek to be renewed in this, as we seek to put this together, we will be a people, we will be a church that lives out of the essence and the reality of the gospel. We have said from the beginning one of our core values is to keep the main thing the main thing, and I pray that that's what we do. Help us, help me to continue to rediscover the glory, the riches, the beauty, and the sufficiency of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together, Jesus, what a friend for sinners.
friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.